All right, praise the Lord. What have we been doing recently? I think I've been driving you nuts over the plan of God in Ephesians chapter 1. How many of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 1, the plan of God? Well, how many of you were here for the message on the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan flashed across my heart and mind because I was reading and, and the plan of God hit me, just hit me. Now every time I open the Bible, the plan of God flashes before my eyes. And I got into reading the book of Ruth again, and someone asked me if I have a bias for the book. Of course I do. <laughs> I'm married to Ruth. Have you ever noticed that people in life get certain names that are given to them, and they, they try to live according to the name? You know, my wife Ruth has done a great job of that. I mean, she's followed me all over the world, almost. I mean, that's the way it feels like anyway. And so i um, very glad to have my Ruth in my life. We're going to do a four-part series on the book of Ruth. We're going to cover a chapter a week. We're going to be moving right along. But one of the things that we're going to see is the plan of God is everywhere throughout the Bible. It's everywhere. Amen? I'm kind of excited about that. We're going to title today's message, Decisions That Determine Destiny. Now, let's talk a little bit about the book of Ruth. I think it's one of the greatest love stories ever in the whole wide world, the, the book of Ruth. It's a great love story. I know that Benjamin Franklin was our first ambassador to France uh, after we became a nation, and he spent quite a bit of time in France. And so being a man of, of, uh, who loved to read a lot, he joined a liter literary society, and uh, he found out, one of the first things he found out was that that French literary society hated the Bible. They hated the Bible. Isn't that sad? So he pulled a sneaky on him, and he took the book of Ruth out of the Bible and put it on other paper and, and didn't let it look like the Bible, and he gave the story to them, and they loved it. And they came to him, and they said, we would like permission to republish this book and put it out there for wide distribution, right? And Ben Franklin told him, said, well, look, it's already published and it's already in wider distribution than you could ever dream of. <laughs> and uh, that's the story of Ruth, this love story. It's one of the only books in the Bible that is dedicated to one woman. What's the other one? Someone tell me. Esther. But Esther doesn't quite compare with the book of Ruth because if you read the book of Esther, you find out that there are a lot of characters in the book of Esther. And there's not as many characters in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is more solely dedicated to this one woman even than the book of Esther is to the queen. Read it for yourself. You'll see the difference between the two books. Now, what do we know? If I'm correct about the plan of God being manifest in all these stories in the Bible, the first thing you got to look at, well, who's who, right? Ruth is a picture in the Old Testament of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Ruth is a picture in the Old Testament of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then who would Boaz be? Boaz, the man she marries, is a picture of Christ, our kinsman redeemer, Right? With a good look at this story, we discovered that our lives are the sum total of our decision-making processes. If you want to live a quality life, you've got to make quality decisions. Amen? 
The book of Ruth was written during difficult and dark days. How do I know? Well, the book of Judges comes just before Ruth, and one rolls right into the other. And the last verse of the book of Judges, in Judges 21, verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> sound like the world we're living in today? But, listen to this. The book of Ruth is a book about bright hope. There's bright hope. As long as Jesus is in our lives, as long as Jesus is operating in this world, we've got a bright future. Amen? We've got a bright future. If we find ourselves in time of darkness or trouble or despair, then Jesus Christ will be to us what Boaz was to Ruth. But the first chapter of Ruth is dedicated to a series of choices followed by a series of consequences. And we can learn by looking closely at them. First of all, what we've got in the book of Ruth, and I want to read the first two verses of Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, you know me. By now, you've hung out with me long enough to know that I like to look at names of people, places, and things and find out if it has any bearing on the story. Well, I was kind of shocked to find out. First of all, I wasn't shocked to hear this. I knew this. Bethlehem means what? Does anybody know? House of bread, right? I saw your lips move. I saw you. House of bread, right? Isn't it ironic, in a way, that Jesus was born there and he was called what? The bread of life right? Jesus, the bread of life, was born in the house of bread in Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is a place that Elimelech is about to take his entire family and flee. There is a famine there. But if you're surrounded by famine, does that mean, oh, there's a famine. I can no longer trust God. I can no longer trust God to meet my needs. I must look elsewhere. How dangerous is that, sister? That's pretty bad, isn't it? Now, the thing that shocked me about Elimelech was that his name actually means my God is king. Elimelech means my God is king, which was kind of surprising to me because Elimelech evidently had a very strong heritage. His mom and dad cared enough about him to give him a Hebrew, a powerful Hebrew name, right? But somewhere along the line, he abandoned all that. So you've got Bethlehem, which means house of bread. You've got Elimelech, which means my God is king. And you've got the name Naomi, which means pleasantness. The name Naomi means pleasantness. All these things enter into the story. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and they remained there. All right. Here's the amazing thing about them going to Moab. If you want to be blessed in your life, Stay in or go to the place of blessing. Don't go to the place of your enemy and expect to be blessed. Now, the Moabites were a group of people. They were a pagan race. They had at one time invaded Israel and kept Israel as slaves for 18 years before God delivered them. 
And God had announced a curse. God himself had announced a curse on Moab. And, and it said they'll never be able to enter in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, that's pretty bad, right? And Ruth came from that group of people. What I want to talk to you about for a few minutes, I want to focus on Elimelech and his decision-making processes. And I want to discuss with you for a minute the principle of a willing choice. The principle of a willing choice. First of all, I want you to know this. We are free to choose. Everybody in this room knows that, right? We're free to choose. We are free will agents, and we are free to choose. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. God sets before us today the same choice that was before Elimelech. The choice between life and death, blessing and cursing, God desires us to choose life. Can you say amen? We are not victims of fate. We can choose. That's a lot of responsibility. Amen? We like choice, don't we? We're Americans. You know, that's why they make so many different flavors of soda pop. You go into an aisle, they got a whole aisle in the grocery store dedicated to soda pop, and then they got end caps, what they call end caps out there. You can get you a flavor of soda pop. If you want a flavored soda pop, you can find one. You can get sugar-free. You can get tons of sugar, caffeine-free, right? You can get fruit-flavored. You can get, I mean, on and on and on and on. And we're Americans, so we kind of like having choices, don't we? Matthew chapter 12, though, verse 30 says, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Some say they will not say yes or no to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? Some say, I've witnessed to people who said, well, I, I'm just not ready today. And you know what I try to tell them? Then you're, you're rejecting Christ. And they go, oh, no, I would never reject Christ. Go, yeah, well, yes, you are. You've been given an opportunity to accept Jesus, and you're saying, no, not today. So you're making a choice, Right? Whether you make a choice or not, whether you think you're making a choice or not, you've chosen. You've made a choice, right? If we say no to Jesus, we're saying yes to Satan. That's another thing that people don't understand. If you're going to put Jesus off, what are you embracing? The world. If you're not going to say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to the world. It's either or. There is no in-between, right? So... What are we saying? First point is, we're free to choose. The second point, though, is this. We are not free not to choose. Now, there's some depth to that comment right there. If a person is presented with an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ and they say, no, not today, they've made a choice, Right? And, and, we, and life is full of choices, it's full of decisions, and we are not free not to choose. Let me tell you something else that might come clearer to you later. There's no way you can say, I will not choose. No, you're going to choose, one way or the other. So, we are free to choose, we are not free not to choose. That changes everything. And number three, a part of this is, 
We are not free to choose the consequences of our choice. Think about that. We're free to choose. We're not free not to choose. And we're not free to choose the consequences of those decisions. You have consequences that are good and positive if you accept Christ. And if you reject Christ, that comes with a whole different set of consequences. And you're not free to choose. Does that make sense to you? We're free to choose. We are not free not to choose. And we're not free to choose the consequences of those choices. If our, or our choices inevitably bring consequences into our lives and into the lives of those close to us. If you step out of a window on the 10th floor of a building, if you make a choice to step out of the window on the 10th floor of a building, how many of you realize after that you're not free to choose the consequences? Halfway down, you can't change your mind. You can't decide, oh, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> There's no pause button, no nothing. You're going to hit the bottom, right? Now, let's, that's serious. That's pretty serious. Let's back it up to something simple. Ruthie would love this if she was here, which is sarcasm, okay? Follow me on this a minute. Have you ever been riding down the road with your spouse and it's time to make a decision? You say to your spouse, are you hungry? Am I the only one that's ever been there? Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. Well, what would you like to eat? Oh, I'm telling you, it's off now. We're, we're, on, we're off to the races now, right? Because... What am I going to get from my beloved and dear wife who I love very much? I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Just, just pick. Just choose, right? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't do that in my car. <laughs> Why? What have I learned? I, I'll never forget in our youth, sitting across from my wife at a little booth. It wasn't really a restaurant. It was a fast food thing, and we're eating chicken, right? And it's little fried chicken strippy things, you know. And I notice that she's being quiet. <laughs> I don't, I can't figure, go figure. Ruthie's sitting there being all quiet. And I go, what's wrong? Well, you know I don't like these. Now, what is this? What, what does that really mean? You know I don't like these. I go, no, I, I didn't know. But do you understand that I didn't stand a chance? From the moment I opened my mouth and said, are you hungry? I was doomed. <laughs> I was doomed, right? And so, so, so it reached to where it morphed to, we'd be driving down the road, and I'd say to myself, should I roll the dice <laughs> and ask her if she's hungry, right? And i go, are you hungry? Yes, I'm hungry. i go, well, where would you like to eat? When she said, I don't care, I held up my hand. I said, please, I'm begging you to care. <laughs> I am begging you to care. Please care about where we're going to eat, right? And please just pick a place. I'll eat anything, right, you know? And until now, it's no big deal. We, we know how to navigate those words. And that's just a small decision, right? But watch this with me. Compare the decisions being made by Elimelech. The thing that gets me is, whether it's Ruth and the decision she made, we know the story, right? Compared to the decisions made by Elimelech, if you're good at making a few good choices, over the big things, it's going to take care of a whole lot of little choices. A whole lot of them, right? Ruthie and I made a decision a long time ago. We made a choice. Not, don't fight over food. Don't fight over where you're going to eat, which was a big decision. And it took care of all the other little ones later. No big deal, right? Have you ever noticed that if you get invited to eat at a friend's house and you say yes... You know exactly where you're going. You, don't, you know the food. Is, you're going to eat the food. It's going to be good, right? No decisions. I like that. 
the big decision to go eat at a friend's house by invitation takes care of a lot of little things, right? All right, now, so what do we know so far? We know that the principles of a willing choice are we are free to choose. Two, we are not free not to choose. And three, we are not free to choose the consequences of our choices, all right? Now, we're going to look at the problems of a wrong choice. Elimelech made a wrong choice when he decided to go into the land of Moab. He knew the truth. He knew the truth. I can't help but believe he knew the truth because he'd been raised by parents who named him with the words, my God is king. All right? The problems with a wrong choice. His name meant my God is king. Elimelech made a wrong choice due to three basic reasons. Nathan put the first one up. He had a wrong motive. Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So what did he do? There was a famine in the land, and he was motivated by physical reasons, not spiritual reasons. He had a wrong motive. Elimelech knew that God had promised to bless him, but he decided he had to take care of himself. I'm going to make this move. I'm going to take my wife. I'm going to take my two sons. And why Moab? Of all the places on earth he could have chosen to go, he went to the land of pagan people that had ruled over Israel and tortured them for 18 years. I think it's kind of amazing, right? He placed the physical above the spiritual. Have you ever read this scripture? It's Psalm 37, 25. I've looked at it many times. David said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children out begging for bread. You ever heard of that scripture? Could Elimelech have stayed in Bethlehem and survived? Or could he have even flourished? Because one of the relatives, Boaz, he hung around in Bethlehem 10 years later. He was the wealthiest man in the area. He was a very eligible bachelor. Would have made a great television show today, wouldn't it? You know, Boaz, <laughs> Ruth. <laughs> Who's going to get the rose, right? I don't know. That's all I know. I've seen it in a commercial. I, I have never watched that, that show. I, I think I've just hung myself, William. No, I've never watched the show. But I've seen the commercials, right? And I, I hear they draw a really big crowd. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And what were those things? Jesus had already said in Matthew, Father already knows what you have need of before you ask. So when you ask, say this, right? And what were the things? What were the three things? The three things we all get concerned about, food, clothing, and housing. Roof over our head, clothes on our back, and food for our bellies. And, and Jesus said, Father already knows you have need of these, so when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know the prayer, right? But we still need to pray. Amen? But God adds all those things to our lives. He adds all those things to our lives. But the problem is this. We often have our priorities out of order. We love things and try to use God rather than loving God and using things. We can get it out of whack, can't we? God never has and God never will 
work well in second place. Never. God does not appreciate when we do that to him. Amen? He does not appreciate when we do that to him. First of all, we know that Elimelech had a wrong motive. Second of all, we know that he had a wrong method. Elimelech walked by sight, not by faith. He looked at, at appearances. Listen to this. Listen to his note. Faith is believing God in spite of appearances and obeying God in spite of consequences. That's deep. You want to hear it again? Faith is believing God in spite of appearances and obeying God in spite of consequences. The appearance was that famine was in the house of bread, Bethlehem. Elimelech, walking by sight and not by faith, tried to run away. There's another passage of Scripture. They used to look at it and think, man, this is a good passage of Scripture. I like it. I, I, I think that I wish sometimes my life would look like this. Psalm 55, verse 6 says, And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. And it's a nice scripture, isn't it? But is it better than this one? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Which scripture verse is better? The one where I want wings like a dove so I can just get away from it all? Or the one where God wants to give me wings like eagles so that I soar above the circumstances. One is better than the other. Amen? So we know he had a wrong motive. We know he had a wrong method. And we also know that he had the wrong master. How do I know? When Elimelech went over into Moab, he went into enemy territory by choice. The Moabites had been enemies of God. The Moabites had invaded Israel and ruled over Israel for 18 years. God had placed a curse upon the Moabites. When we live in disbelief and disobedience, we dishonor God and we move into the enemy's territory. I'm telling you, that's powerful. When we live in disbelief and disobedience, we dishonor God and we move into the enemy's territory. When Elimelech moved his family to Moab, his two sons married daughters of Moab. Elimelech's entire life and his family suffered because he could not believe God. Can you say amen? Now, let's look for a minute about what Elimelech's choice brought in the way of consequences. Brought death. His wrong choices brought death. Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Elimelech and both of his sons died in Moab. So much for Elimelech's plan going to the place where of no blessing, expecting to survive or be blessed. Doesn't work. Naomi changes her name to Mara, which means bitterness. She begins to blame God for her situation, but God wasn't to blame for Elimelech's choice. 
I don't know how many times I've sat in an office and tried to counsel people whose lives were in a mess and trying to get them to see that, answer the question, why are you angry with Father? Why are you angry with God? God did not put you in the place that you're in today. Your choices, your decisions, they were your processes, and they put you there, and now you have the gall, the unmitigated gall to blame God, and you've got the right to be angry with God? How dangerous is that? How foolish is that? You know, I'm going to ask you a question. And because I've always kind of wondered about this. Let's say, let's say you knew of a preacher who, um, who uh, was pastoring a church and everything's going fine. But all of a sudden, he stands up and says, it's time for me to go. I'm going to another church. And you found out that it was because he was going to make $30,000 more a year. How would you feel about that preacher? Yeah, betrayed, right? And, and you say... You know, that shouldn't happen. It should not happen. I, I'm not too used to that <laughs> happening, but I'm just saying, you know, there was some humor in that, wasn't there, Pat? Thank you, brother. <laughs> Got a little support base right here on the second row. But what if a businessman says, I'm going to quit the job I have now because I can go to this other city and I can get this job making $30,000 more a year. You say to yourself, because you're not preachers, you say to yourself, many of you say, that's different. It's not different. Not for the child of God, it's not different. For the child of God, it's still a decision that you want to make with God. Because I'm telling you right now, money is not everything. Money is not everything, right? I'm a firm believer that I don't care if you're a preacher or you're a businessman. If you're a child of God, you should pray about every decision you make, especially the big one especially the big ones. What I wrote here in notes and I highlighted is faith is believing God despite appearances and obeying God in spite of consequences. How do you like that one? That's good, ain't it? So what do we got here? The problems with a wrong choice, Elimelech's choice is he had a wrong motive. He had a wrong method and he had a wrong master, right? But let's look for a minute at the power of a wise choice. Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. Then she arose and her daughter. So we're talking about Naomi or Mara for a minute here because she didn't keep the Mara name, thank God. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Can I say two words once, one word twice, surprise, surprise. <laughs> God has miraculously come through again. <laughs> I think it's amazing, right? So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you and to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? 
Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, to me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. <laughs> One of the daughters-in-law kissed her and left. One of them, and, and the original Hebrew, I love it so much, it means that she wrapped her arms around Naomi and she refused to let go. That was the choice. The huge, giant choice and decision made by Ruth. And she said, see your sister-in-law, verse 15. See your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws were left in Moab with no sustenance and no way of taking care of themselves. Naomi hears the blessings back in, back in the house of bread. Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave to Naomi. Ruth decided to go with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. Listen to this. Ruth's decision was a decision for destiny. Think about this. Remember when I said that you can make a good quality decision and it would take care of a lot of little ones? Whether you know it or you don't know it, that day when Ruth made a decision to stay with Naomi, it was huge. It was a big decision. It not only affected her, but it affected everyone in this room. It affected everybody. And she wasn't a child of God. She was not an Israelite. She was a pagan making decisions, though, that were going to change the destiny of her life. And they were going to affect us too. Ruth had previously lived a cursed life. Just like me and you. Don't think no different of her. It's just like us without Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 3 says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation. And then he carries it further. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Ruth, in the natural, had no business getting blessed by God. 
No business getting blessed by God. She was under a curse. Don't tell me grace didn't work in the Old Testament. Grace was there, baby. It was there, and it was working. Can you say amen? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, and we've been in Ephesians, right? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and there was nobody more alienated than Ruth was, right? And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here's what I wrote, though. But grace did for Ruth what the law could not do. What the law could not do. Ruth had a crushed life. She'd known poverty and deprivation. She had lost her husband and her father-in-law. She was without a home and without help. Ruth had a condemned life because her husband had died. She had a sentence of death upon her. I'm telling you, if there wasn't someone there to take care of a woman, she could starve to death. You see what I'm saying? Like Ruth, we have a sentence of death upon us because of Adam. The head of the human race died, and in Adam we all die. We lost our inheritance just as Ruth had lost her inheritance. When Ruth decided to stay with Naomi and serve the living God, all things became new for her in her life. You know how I love that scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen? In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. Remember this. When someone says, Write this down, it's important. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. All right, we're going to close with this. There are seven elements of Ruth's decision, and we're going to look at all seven. I'm going to take a few minutes. Don't get nervous. First of all, she had a new direction. She had a new direction. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, I highlighted these words. She said, for where you go, I will go. How many of you know that's new direction? They're not going to stay in Moab. They're not going to stay in the place of cursing. They're going back to the house of bread. Amen? And then there was a new dependence. There was a new determination. That was a new determination, right. There was a new direction, and then there was a new dependence. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. It's a new dependence. There was a new desire. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. So let me, let me back up here and slow down. We're not in too big a hurry, right? Direction. For where you go, I will go dependence for where you go I will go and where you lodge I will lodge and then there was a new desire your people shall be my people and your God my God that's a new desire for Ruth your God will be my God and then there was a new devotion in verse 16 it says well once again your God a devotion to God right your God will be my God a new dedication where you die I will die and that's new that's new. She's never said anything. We don't have any recording of her ever talking like that before. She is convincing Naomi, Naomi about how deep she's ready to go and willing to go. Where you die, I will die. There was a new destiny. And there I will be buried. You don't get much more committed to that than that, do you? When we choose Christ, we too have a new destiny. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. 
For I am sure that neither life or death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Doesn't that sound a lot like the decision that Ruth's made towards Naomi? She's, she's going deep, amen? Determination, direction, dependence, desire, devotion, dedication, now destiny. Destiny, right? I was raised Southern Baptist. And whether I was Southern Baptist or whether I was Assembly of God or whatever, I was always kind of interested, who's leading this group? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What kind of person is in charge? You know, who's the superintendent? And um, I had the privilege of meeting some of them, and they're just great people, you know. You know, it was back in the days when, and, and this is a terrible thing for me to say this way, I'm not trying to apply anything different than God is in charge of who gets raised up and who gets put down. But in those days in my youth, I would meet these people, and you'd instantly know why God raised them up. You know what I'm saying? You would know why. Well, there was a guy named Adrian Rogers. Have any of you ever heard of Adrian Rogers? Adrian Rogers, man, he's deceased, you know. He's with Jesus, and his ministry is still affecting the world, right? And, and this guy, I was exposed to this guy way back when I was at Luther Rice Seminary, right? He's the first one I ever heard talk on this subject, on the book of Ruth. I mean, it was powerful, right? Adrian Rogers is this guy who was three times, three terms, he led the Southern Baptist Convention. Huge bunch of Christians in America, right? So Adrian Rogers tells of a story of visiting Northwood Baptist Church, the church when he was a child where he got saved. And I love this story. He said, I was in the front yard working with my father. And he said, some people drove up, got out, came over. My father went over. And this is, the, this is a long time ago. This is 70 years ago. You know, how people used to do things, though. They came. There was going to be a revival at Northwood Baptist Church. They came, introduced themselves to Adrian's father, and invited him to the revival that night. So they shake hands. Adrian's father comes back over and tells Adrian, we're going to church tonight. We're going to church. Adrian said, I was shocked. I'd never seen my father go to church, you know. He said, that night we go to church. He said, they give an altar call. My father walks down. Gives his heart and life to Jesus. He said, my daddy, my daddy did it. So I went down and I gave my heart and life to Jesus. And they said, they announced, we're awfully glad to see Adrian Rogers come down and accept Jesus. He said, because they knew me. <laughs> he said, I terrorized that neighborhood. <laughs> so he said, they were happy to see me get saved, right? Let me, let me tell you this. Stats are a funny thing. You can twist stats and you can do things with them, but... These stats, I believe, are quite accurate. It's not throwing rocks at anybody. It's just how life works. It says that if a woman leaves out of a house, comes to church, and gets saved, that, that all of the homes where a woman gets saved in it, of those homes, 3 to 5% of the rest of the families, homes represented, will all get saved. If a, no, I'm sorry, it starts with a child. A child, if a child gets saved, 3 to 5% of the people in the house will all get saved. If a woman gets saved, it jumps to 30 to 35%. That's a good thing, right? But if a father, if a man gets saved, it jumps 70 to 75% of all of those homes represented will give their hearts and lives to Jesus. And that's why the Southern Baptist Convention was blessed because Adrian Rogers' daddy made a quality decision to follow Christ. And I'm telling you, Adrian Rogers, you can learn a lot 
from going online and, and listening to that guy and reading his books. And, uh, and I like to give credit where credit is due. A lot of the inspiration for this message came from a man who's in heaven now. You know? He's in heaven now. All right? But his father made a quality decision, and it took care of a lot of other decisions. Took care of a lot of other choices. Right? Mom, Dad, how we serve God makes a huge difference in the lives of our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews. That's why when you saw us dedicate our grandbaby daughter to the Lord, we charged the entire church. Not just mom and dad, not just grandma and grandpa, not just aunts and uncles and cousins. That child will grow up in this church, and if you think she's not watching you, just catch her eye, (laughs) and she'll smile at you. She's watching you. Say, well, she's only six months old or whatever, five or six months old. No, no. She's seeing. She's seeing, you know. She knows when she's loved. She knows when she's not loved. The little ones know, right? Think about it this way, please. As a pastor, I'm asking you, be people of prayer, be people of the word, and let's live our lives in front of these children because they're the future of the church. Amen? So, did we learn anything today? I'm telling you, we're, we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2 next week, and the title of the message is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Ruth chapter 2, you know. You get to watch God progress Ruth's life along. Just four chapters. Easy enough to cover. It's early yet. Amen? It's, it's early yet. So that was the power of a wise choice. Amen? Versus the power of a very bad and wicked choice Elimelech made. Amen? I'm just grateful for Naomi deciding to return. See, it's, never, it's not too late. You can turn back. If there's breath in your body, it's not too late. Amen? One more thing I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to pray together. You ever wondered about that scripture in the Bible where Jesus told Peter, upon this rock I will build this church? You know, actually what he was saying to Peter, your name is Cephas. But he says, if you could see him, he goes, but upon this rock, Jesus, I will build the church upon this rock, right? But he goes on to say, whatever sins you forgive will be forgiven. Whatever sins you do not forgive will be retained. You ever heard of that? You ever heard of that? You ever wonder who they get retained by? had a man sitting across from my desk one day. He had made a lot of poor decisions in his life. Tears running down his face. And he told me a story. He said, I'm losing my wife and I'm losing my little boy because I beat them. I abused them. And he said, I'm destroyed by it because when I was a little boy, my father did that to me and my mother. He beat us. He beat me and he beat my mother. Listen to these words. And I never forgave him. So what did he do to himself? He did not forgive his father. Therefore, he claved that sin unto himself. And became exactly that which he hated. 
That's a bad choice. That's a bad decision. Amen? Walking in unforgiveness is a spiritual cancer that will take your life if you waller in it too long. Amen? God help us all. Amen? Now, what have I got to be excited about today? I've made a lot of decisions in my life. Not all of them were good. But then accepting Jesus Christ was certainly by far the greatest thing I could ever do. Another thing I chose to do is whenever I hear about people that are sick, I pray, right? And what do we know? Little Holton's going home today. I could not be more excited about that. MRSA infection is from hell. MRSA infections are very, very, very bad. I, uh, you and I had a friend up north that... Um, his daughter in her 20s came home from a cruise. And before you and I even knew about it, she got off that cruise ship. She went to the hospital. She had an infection. And five or six days later, she died. And um, to hear that Holton's going home today just lifts, lifts my spirit. We serve a good God. Amen. And he deserves all of our quality decisions. Amen. Stand with me. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer for all of us. I'm not going to leave anybody out. Amen? That's my choice today, right? I'm the pastor.